0: This is IMPACT, I'm Carrie Kaufman. Well, it's been a year this week. We started out with a very long and contentious special CCSD meeting on Monday about the plan to come back to school. Two days later, the legislature opened their special session warning us of deep cuts to education and health care. They need to fill a $1.2 billion budget hole, and education and healthcare are most of the budget. Following protocol, Governor Sisalak signed a proclamation calling the special session to order. In it, he made real the worst fears of principals in CCSD, that the legislature would change a law that allows individual schools to make budget decisions that would save them money. Carryover funds are often used to buy technology and other things, especially for schools that serve disadvantaged populations. And one of the cuts the legislature is now looking to make are funds that go directly to schools that serve disadvantaged populations. And many principals see this as a double whammy. On Thursday, we thought the only thing on our agenda was a vote for the CCSD plan at the school board meeting. But right in the middle of the meeting, Governor Sisolak held an emergency press conference in which he announced that bars needed to close again, restaurants need to emphasize outside seating, gyms need to be be very careful, more people need to wear masks, and folks should stop harassing his staff. Uh,
1: The question was... uh... I've received criticism that I'm not leading enough to raise revenue and to deal with the budget situation, I guess. Uh, I don't get to sleep a lot anymore. I don't get to rest a lot anymore. and When I do try to sleep, it's not been very uh, sound sleep. These decisions are weighing very, very heavily on me. I will reiterate what I said in six different interviews yesterday. I'm happy to look at revenue sources, but I am not naive. It takes a Republican vote in the Senate to say they support revenue increases, and I'm willing to listen. They all have my phone number. Nobody has called since this has been brought up. Nobody has come and said, here's my proposal to raise more revenue. I have to be realistic. We couldn't raise revenue in the last session. Uh, Raising in a special session is not going to be any easier. If anybody and the Republican Senate side wants to raise their hand and say, here I am, Governor, I'm supporting revenue increases. Let's talk. We can have a much broader discussion. I haven't seen that hand go up. So I'm hopeful that it will, but I will leave that to the legislature to make that call. I mean, I, we spent a long time, and I got a compliment here, and I'm going to say something that uh, – well, I'm going to say it anyway. I, I, I've got cabinet heads Department heads going over the legislature and they're getting beat up. I'm expected to get beat up. I ran for this job. I'm getting criticized every single day. No matter what I do, I get that. The only cute posts and comments that people make my staff in my uh, cabinet heads don't deserve that. I mean, they are working overtime. They're working as hard as is humanly possible, and they are consistently criticized. That's not fair. So if they want to criticize, here I am. It's Friday as we take this, and I am
0: just holding my breath. Rebecca Colbert is on the line with me today to help figure out what is going on. She's one of the moderators of the CCSD Parents Facebook page, and she's the head of acquisitions at the Clark County Library. Rebecca, uh, I'm a very improvisational person, but this week has been a bit much.
2: <laughs> this week, when I went to bed Thursday at 10 o'clock, and when I woke up in the middle of the night with insomnia, everything had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm used to that, but this this feels a little more like trying to surf on a waterbed. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know where we're headed, and the problem is that that is top-down and bottom-up. The legislature, the school board, uh-huh. uh, the kids, the parents, the workers, we're, we're so in the weeds. <laughs>
0: We, that is true. We are a lot in, in the weeds. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about this plan first because I feel like like we got into the weeds and then suddenly uh, Superintendent Jara turned around uh, on Thursday night and said, uh, we shouldn't be in the weeds. And then it finally it actually explained why. Um, but I want to talk about this plan as as we know it so far. And correct me if, if anything is wrong. Um, CCSD staff put together a plan that would include three cohorts. Um, some cohort A would be on Monday and Tuesday. Cohort B would be on uh, um, Thursday and Friday. And uh, the rest of the week for each cohort would be online only, and then there would be a cohort C, which is online completely. Uh, teachers were like, how do we teach online and be in class at the same time? That didn't get answered in the first two board discussions that they had. Uh, parents were like, five full days, we need to work. Other parents were like, it's not safe to bring our kids back to school. Trustee Daniel Ford called for people to volunteer to write their own plan. Uh, then the board decided to meet on Monday, and on Monday the district gave pretty much the same presentation they had given the week before, and then they met Thursday to vote, and the district did a pretty good job, I think, of answering the concerns that uh, the teachers were giving, uh, giving teachers specific schedules, modeling what a student's day would look like, and they even said that Cohort C would be Uh, dedicated uh, teachers, that they wouldn't have people trying to teach cohort A and B and C at the same time. Uh, And I think, Rebecca, they said that cohort C teachers didn't have to come in the building. Is that right? Do
2: we ever get an answer to that? I have not seen it verified in print or policy anywhere, but verbally that's my understanding. Um, That might be the only positive change from the discussions that you know, CCSD parents had hosted JARA um, in a very generous hour-long rapid-fire mm-hmm. Q&A, and I paid attention to a couple of groups that said, okay, they'll say one thing, but then listen next time, and it's different. And I thought, no, 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 he's being really transparent, We're, he's on message, and we had a great Facebook Live with him, and then everything changed. Mm. <laughs> and so the takeaway that I get is, yes, Cohort C does seem to be dedicated teachers, for dedicated online students. Almost everything else about A and B for me is still up in the air. I don't know if will be semester uh, plan for secondary students. I don't know if specials will teach in person or online. (laughs) I don't know how many credits my incoming high schooler will earn in one semester. Um, And I know that they're working on it. I feel their frustration. But I can't answer questions if it's not, if it's a plan that doesn't exist yet. And even though they ratified it, it's a plan that doesn't exist.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I found really interesting is that Jara, Jara yesterday said, look, I, 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 we're just making, I'm, I'm going to play this, actually. I have a clip of him saying this.
2: I think this, you know, we the board can decide once the State Department approves. The board can decide to beat distance education, Um Full time until X amount or whatever. I mean, this is the, the 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 thought is that this comes back to the board once the state approves the plan.
0: For for a week and a half, he was saying, "Hey, you know, we need to have a plan because the state in, needs us to have a plan." And now he's saying, "Look, just make something, and then the state will approve it, and then we can fix it if we want to fix it." And I was totally surprised. I feel like we had have wasted like. 30 or 40 hours of meeting time
2: when we could have known that at the very beginning. Well, we couldn't be shorter than Washoe County, which spent 10 hours, I believe, in their board There's, meeting. That is true. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what to think. I'm glad that they're working on it. I trust that the details will come out in August, but it doesn't help parents plan.
0: Right. It, it is, doesn't
2: help employers plan. Right.
0: Right. It doesn't help principals plan. But here's the thing, though. What did he, what did he say? I know that one of the things that, that, that you guys talked about in your uh, uh, CCSD parents <laughs> interview— Uh, was special education. Uh, I know Andrea Cole specifically asked about putting uh, special education kids in dedicated classrooms that were like the multipurpose room or the library or the cafeteria. (laughs) Uh, And he was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, And then on Monday, that was totally sliced and diced. That was not going to happen. And I wonder if they really, really
2: actually gave that thought. My, my sense is that there was some positive movement on special ed, that in schools where self-contained classrooms have a small enough enrollment and a large enough resource room or a dedicated special ed room, that perhaps special ed education could happen in person more than two days a week. Um, it, it almost came down to a site-based decision, but once again, it's not in print, it's only in discussions through these meetings but almost universally the special ed teachers wanna be there more than twice a week and the students' parents want them there more than twice a week. Um, So I'm still hopeful that if anything, maybe that particular part of CCSD's community will get what they need. You know, one of
0: the things that I, I talked about, I talked to a bunch of principals the other day, and once, one of the things they talked about is using uh, a community, uh, using churches that are across the street from a lot of schools, uh, you, you know, utilizing other places that might have bigger rooms. I know there's legal issues and, you know, and rental issues and all that stuff. But finding places, especially for special ed kids and younger kids uh, to go um, I don't know, that might be, uh, an, that might be a solution. I have no idea.
2: You know, the childcare question has come up again and again. And I think that kind of echoes the, we should have the, um, pre-K through elementary kids in class as much as we can, because those are the kids that won't be able to teach themselves or mind themselves during the day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But this is not a community that is jumping up to help, um, they're not bailing out CCSD, and part of that is because the entire community is suffering. But you saw the news this week; there was a church that just had to shut down because um, their pastor tested positive. Right. So reaching out to other facilities and other community centers also reaches out to other exposure. And other unlicensed professionals, and our problems go way deeper than we don't have room for the fifty thousand kids or so that will need childcare. Well, and also, if,
0: people, if kids are in childcare with a bunch of other kids, why aren't why aren't they just in a classroom?
2: <sighs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Is there any other anything else that Jara said to you guys that you found uh, was not necessarily the case when uh, he spoke at the school board? Um.
2: I from listening to so many of these meetings, I get the feeling and it was a horrible realization this week and I, I, I'm still not sure I'm still trying it on. I get the feeling that Jara might be okay if we were a smaller district. Mm -hmm. That last year when we worried about parents streaming off to charter schools and losing per pupil funding, I think maybe 360,000 students is a little unmanageable. And is so many of the decisions that he's making and things that he's saying make me think, wow, student retention is not at the top of the game and bailing out this giant enterprise is not what's happening. Um, So I'm puzzled. I think in their heart of hearts, they want us to go back to phase one so that we can do distance ed full-time. Yes. And I get the feeling teachers, admin, up the food chain, that they would prefer to do distance ed full-time in the fall, but that they know the community can't absorb it. I feel like... Um when
0: when they broke when they when the school district had to take a break so that the governor can speak, that they were kind of hoping that he would be like, Oh, hey, we're back to phase one. And then when he said, We're closing bars, <laughs> they were like, Oh no, we
2: gotta go but back out there schools. Close the bar, open the schools, <laughs> let it sort itself out. Right, right, right. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Uh,
0: okay, so before we get to that, because I do want to talk about what, what the governor said and what's going on with the legislature, but I want to talk about uh, Cohort C, because Cohort C has gotten a lot. That's, that is the distance education thing. Um, it's gotten a lot of, um, of, of talk. There are a lot of teachers uh, who are wanting to um, be on Cohort C. I'm going to play Vicki Cridell, who is the who is a teacher at Lonely Heard Elementary School, but who also is the head of the Southern Nevada NEA, the Southern mm-hmm. Nevada uh, Education Association. And, um, uh, and I'm going to play this for you right now.
3: I think it's vital that we have dedicated teachers for Cohort C.
0: So she wants dedicated teachers for Cohort C, and I think they've really figured that out. Uh, I'm going to play now uh, Ramona Esparza, who said...
4: We need to be able to put kids first, and they should be taught by whomever is best qualified.
0: Uh, I talked to Greg Cole of Mojave High School, uh, and um, Greg said that uh, it's, it's about relationships. In,
5: in my mind, I would be absolutely fine with it. Let's let Central, somewhere centrally, take that cohort C. If there really was a way to create good, positive relationships with the kids that choose that,
0: and uh, Jen Hanel uh talked about working with other schools possibly for a dedicated cohort C teachers.
4: When it comes to my kids, like I need to know that the situation that they're stepping into is one where they will be cared for and supported mm. and where they will be successful. So if I only have 3 or 4 kids in a given grade level that are opting for cohort C, I'm not okay just saying Eh, someone else can deal with them. Absolutely not.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: But even just this morning, you know i was I was mulling things over and talking to some of the teachers because mm-hmm. I'm in touch with a lot of the teachers on a constant basis trying to come up with new ideas, mm-hmm. new new ways to make things work. And one of the things we were tossing around is our our population, I don't think that we have a lot of mm-hmm. families that will opt for a cohort seat, but there will be some. There will be some. And those kids, they they have to be in the front seat also. Um, they they need to come first, just like every other kid needs mm-hmm. to come first. They can't be an afterthought just because there's only a few of them. Mm-hmm. So one thing we were talking about was maybe there's a way. Schools that are nearby, schools that are in our our region, um, principals that have a similar philosophy. You know where the the school dynamic is is the same, and maybe maybe there's a way to bring together five elementary schools who have a similar situation, and then each of us essentially donates a a teacher to be the cohort C teacher for that grade level.
0: I I thought that was a really interesting idea that that Jen had, to look for other schools that had the same sort of philosophy as you did. and, uh, And then each of those schools would say, okay, I will... I will uh, volunteer my, this second grade teacher to teach cohort C. And so that you were all working together to do the distance education. What do you think of that?
2: I love the idea. I think that we're hindered based on the way funding is allocated um, and salary lines remain within a school. And so if in my elementary school, for example, it's pretty small, 500 students. And if they don't have enough students that opt in for cohort C at, say, the fifth grade level, it's my understanding that they'll combine bands, which is where you combine fourth and fifth, and then second and third. And so you might have a distance ed teacher from the school who's teaching two different grade levels online at the same Mm, time. Um, But they do that to retain the money at the school site. So I love uh, Jeannie's proposal, but I'm not sure how it would work. Um it would take a lot of trust and inner cooperation between individual schools.
0: It would. And one of the things that I asked them about, that I asked the principals about, was, you know, don't you lose money. You, you know, you get you get yeah. you get paid per pupil. That's why we do yes. a count. And they were all pretty unanimous in saying we care more about the kids.
2: We'll figure out the Which is fantastic. Right. Um, And I know that we share counselors. We share gate positions. We share nurses. It's only a matter of time before we have to share teachers. And if there's a way that they can work it out, I have a lot of faith in our principals. Um, I don't have a lot of faith that the district will undo some of this innovation that is temporary. Mm. And so as a parent, it kind of concerns me. Like, we're scrambling to get through this year the best we can. But we all want to go back to five days of public education. Yeah, interesting. When there's, you know, a vaccine or the virus goes away.
0: So that was also something that we talked about. Um, I asked Greg actually what, uh, what his hopes were and what his worries were,
5: and this was his answer. I hope that we teach differently after all of this, right? Hmm. I think uh, what this has done is given us a good opportunity to start planning to meet kids the way that they learn and the way that they need to be taught, and I think blended learning and flipped classrooms and all those kinds of things Mm. for a lot of us that that didn't grow up in the digital age. Those have kind of been like fascinating concepts, but how do we really completely get there? Mm. And Mojave High School has been, we've been lucky. We've been technology rich, like Ramona talked about because of some extra funds that we have. So we've been in a position to start doing some of those things. But I think even some of our teachers that maybe thought, gosh, I, I, I can't take that leap. I think having the opportunity to practice some of the skills and kind of have to Kind of have to start doing it. I think is good for kids. I think overall we're gonna we're gonna see teaching take a different a different turn now that we're kind of being forced to.
0: So Greg thinks and wants this change to be kind of permanent. That we're that we're gonna actually start accepting technology and uh, and teaching differently than we do now.
2: Incorporated technology, blended technology. I'm all about that. Okay. Um, as I've seen my kids excel through the school system, the higher the grade level, the more they, the better they integrate technology. So I'm on board with that, but you cannot beat the experience of being face to face in a classroom mm. with a good teacher. I'm not ready. Maybe my digital native kids are ready, but as a parent, I am not ready to abandon that relationship.
0: And I think that the the teachers also want a relationship. The um, mm-hmm. one thing that Vicki Crydell said is that she actually figured out she actually had better results on uh when she was online with her kids
3: interestingly like i am just so that i can give some context so i had the uh struggling readers all of the struggling readers and writers in my grade level so i'm i teach just ela speaking listening reading and writing And I found that I had a lot more participation in my virtual classroom that I did every day, Monday through Friday, than I did in the online assignments. So I would get, I had 36 students, and I'd get maybe 15, I think the most I ever had was 18 Mm -hmm. students log in. So my parents, a lot of whom don't speak English, did figure out how to log in on Google Meet. Um, Some kids were logging in on a phone, um, mm-hmm. Lots of I had kids log in from the back seat of the car, mm-hmm. so it it was a logging in the virtual classroom was where I would teach the mini lessons. I did read alouds. We would play games, and so I think that's really important. As we're looking at the cohort C, um, I could totally see myself developing relationships with these students online, especially as I expand my own abilities and strategies and being able to do a really good job with a group of students if I had a dedicated group of students that I saw every day. you think
0: um, that we're going to end up just being cohort C anyway because we're going to go back to phase one?
2: Well, a friend texted me that we broke a 1,000 cases today, so I I do kind of think that we're headed right back to phase one.
0: Yeah. Thursday night, um, I want to – uh, go back to the uh, Brooks and Ford show because that in a nutshell is what is going on with, uh, with CCSD board of trustees. And I just want to play you this 13
4: second clip. i to ask the board to review the guidelines from the state so that. You I have them right here. Can you read them out loud? No, I don't want you to read them out loud. Thank okay. You. That would change your mind. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you.
0: Oh, my God. I was so glad that they were not in the same room because I think somebody would have come out dead.
2: Well, that's the kind of exchange that would not have happened if they had been in the same Ah. room together. And that's a clear example of how people behave differently digitally than they do interpersonally.
0: Very good point. They had a number of exchanges like that. And uh, and Daniel Ford has been like throwing bombs, throwing grenades into the meetings for the last few
2: weeks, which have kept it interesting. I have to say that. Well, I've, I've sat through a number of institutions board meetings lately, and I have to say the CCSD ones, you get more bang for your buck. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: th- I do think, though, that there's something more serious kind of going on beneath this. I, I think there's a fight for the soul of the board and for how how uh, like dedicated to to the rules we should be. There were a number of times that Ford said last night, why don't we just have a conversation? And um and I think that like she's sort of like trying to break down some sort of structure um, so that the board can seem more flexible and more open. Um, I don't know if the, what she's doing will actually work, but I do see some uh, intentionality in what she's doing.
2: Yeah, I do. I think there was a, a large number of people that dismissed Ford initially as, Oh, she's naive. She's inexperienced. No, I'm starting to think she's very savvy uh. at, at trying to disrupt the communication um, to a different purpose. And it's not disruption to be disruptive. I do think there's a goal in mind. But this the seven bodies on that board are not. Um, they're not following the lead. She's got one or two along with her. But right. I think I I was never in favor of a hybrid board. But the more attention I pay to um, school board politics, the more I think, you know, maybe hybrid's not a bad idea. Half appointed, half elected. Oh, that's interesting. Appointed by whom, though? Uh, That is the $10,000 question. Mm. Um, Perhaps local authorities, perhaps other governing bodies. I'm not sure. They've suggested it before, but it hasn't gotten any traction in the legislature. Um, But I think it might. So that's interesting, though, because I I feel like if,
0: if you are a person who has been appointed by, say, the Clark County commissioners, then you are going to be more uh, apt to say, oh, yeah, sure, let's do what the commissioners want.
2: I, I think the notion of hybrid boards has come out of school boards um, across the country that have been infiltrated by certain political mindsets uh. who don't start with high elected public office. They start small with school boards. You see it here in the District B race right now. And um, as a way to combat school boards getting taken over by a small minority political view, hybrids are a good option. Uh,
0: I want to talk a little bit about the legislature. Uh, they, uh, there's a special session that's going on right now. Uh, I have not uh, seen it since yesterday. Uh, it's pretty bleak. You know, schools, they have to cut $1.2 billion. Schools are going to be losing how much in funding? Uh, that, that number is not right at the tip of my tongue. Uh,
2: 166 million cut from K-12. Okay,
0: 166 from K-12. Uh, there are going to be deep cuts to uh, health care, including Medicaid.
2: And a lot of people right uh, now who are uh, out 100- of work. Well, are right, a- 140 million alone from Medicaid at a time when Medicaid usage is going to be up. Right. Is already up. So, you
0: know that the, the things we need in a pandemic are healthcare and schooling, and those are the things that are going to be cut because honestly, they really do take up most of our budget. Uh, so, I, I don't, I, I don't envy them uh, right now. Taxes seem to be off the table. Uh, Syslac was was pretty adamant about that in his press conference on Thursday night. Uh, actually, he blamed the Republicans, and so did. Uh, Jason Frierson, who's the Speaker of the Assembly, uh, he was like, you know, I keep trying to have conversations with them and they won't talk to me. And the Democrats are one vote shy of a super, super majority, so they can't just raise taxes.
2: I think that the Democrats are an excellent example of not being able to lead <laughs> right now. Um, they should have gone into the legislative session with a revenue idea, mm. with a plan, pitched it to Republicans, and then worked on getting conversion votes if they had none. Um, but to go in blank with there's been at least eight bill drafts, um, and eight bills that are being discussed, and not a one of them raises any funds. It rearranges funds, it talks mm. about borrowing, but mm-hmm. it doesn't raise revenue. And the reason that healthcare and this, uh, education take up so much of our budget in Nevada is that we have a very small budget for what we need to accomplish. Right. And I, I, it's unconscionable to me that there's not a revenue plan being discussed.
0: So that's why CCSD Parents was started to talk uh, about the budget issues and the fact that we really do underfund our schools And uh, as Rebecca Garcia pointed out on a previous show, we were poised with a new funding formula to actually add money to the funding formula and actually start building uh, our funds for schools. And now we are back. We've been thrown back at least 10 years.
2: Yeah, they say that they've undone the work of five different legislative sessions on education with these broad strokes and the special session cuts. So let's talk about those broad strokes. One (laughs) is that read by
0: three, which ensures that reading specialists are working with younger children so that they can read by three, uh, read by grade three. uh, That's being cut. Uh, uh, SB 178 uh, is being cut and SB 178 is specifically for schools that have high populations of kids who need extra attention.
2: Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. The most vulnerable uh, students that need the most help are now getting less than they had when they started this session four days ago. And Uh, they're so proud of how they've saved Victory and Zoom. But it doesn't matter if they reached into the fire and saved one kid while they let the other four die. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what it feels like.
0: And then also schools are losing their carryover funds. So there are a lot of schools that, were, that are victory in Zoom schools that got 178 money. Uh, and, and this year, uh, I, schools got 178 money up to f- a four-star rating. Schools that had a five-star rating didn't get it. But um, so they've, they've taken that, that extra money and then they've saved it for plans to invest in technology, to be able to hire more teachers, uh, reduce class sizes, whatever. And now the legislature is talking about taking that away. So these schools now get a double whammy, a double jeopardy, because they lose their, their 178 money and they lose their carryover funds.
2: Yeah, the carryover's personal to me. Um, at a small elementary school that has had to budget for cuts in the last three sessions, the, or the last three budget cycles, we used carryover money um, to pay hours to our read by three strategist. And so now at the same time that they're cutting the original funds for the read by three strategist, they'll be taking our carryover funds as well and not giving us any more money for students who need to learn English language. Right. And we're a tiny school with a tiny budget, and we do the best we can by having supply drives and student-generated snack funds. But you shouldn't have to sell Popsicles to fund literacy strategists. And now all the Popsicle money we sold and saved will be gone. I I thought that was like a PTA matter. That's not... (laughs) There's a line called student-generated funds. But what you do on an SOT, if you're trying to be creative is use your student-generated funds for one thing and save supply money. Like you might Uh... use student-generated funds to buy paper because you can use your supply money to fund a strategist. So we blew student-generated funds on supplies thinking we could save our supply money as carryover and now we don't get a strategist.
0: Is there anything that you can do to save that? I mean, the the AB two was was put out, and uh, and then it will be they they haven't voted on it as of this taping uh, in the assembly. It will be going to the Senate. I know that uh, uh, Selena Torres uh, talked about uh, preserving carryover funds. Uh, on the floor uh, that the first day of the special session. Uh, do you, Are you in contact with legislators? Uh, and what do you think the chances of preserving that might be?
2: I think that we understand the carryover funds will revert back to the school district. What we would like to see happen is maybe some deliberation and thought that says you could only use these carryover funds for specific initiatives at schools that lost programs and services. So it's okay to round up all the carryover money from, you know, because not every school has it, but at least put it back in to fund some of the cuts that the state just um, impacted us with.
0: Rebecca Colbert is one of the moderators of CCSD Parents Facebook
2: page, which has how many thousands of members right now, Rebecca? We are almost up to 9,700. We are going to break 10,000 uh, any any minute now. It's a,
0: it's a very important page. Really good discussions happen there. They keep you well informed about what's going on. It's really easy if you're busy uh, to, to just look at CCSD Parents, so you would go to Facebook uh, Facebook slash groups slash CCSD parents. So go join that page. Uh, Rebecca is also one of my co-hosts for Impact. And I appreciate you going over this crazy, crazy week with me, Rebecca. Next week must be better. Yes, next week. Let's hope. You are listening to Impact, a weekly show on KUNV and via podcast at KUNV.org. You can also listen directly at impact.simplecast.com.
5: For nearly 20 years, the UNLV Food Pantry has assisted university students, staff, and faculty in need. Open select days each month throughout the year, the pantry offers non-perishable food staples and basic hygiene items. UNLV Food Pantry is located on the Paradise Campus, 851 East Tropicana Avenue in Building 600. For details or to contribute items, visit unlv.edu and search Food Pantry or email food.pantry at unlv.edu.
4: Um, We were very fortunate to be um, technology-rich because we are a victory school. So that was crucial that we were able to provide not just um, the ability to give kids Chromebooks, but we knew that bandwidth, Wi-Fi, is definitely an issue. So using other funding sources, we were also able to give kids hotspots.
0: That was Ramona Esparza talking about what Valley High School did with the money she saved last year. As you heard Rebecca Colbert say, Nevada hit 1,000 new cases yesterday and almost as many hospitalizations. On July 10th, we were almost at 26,000 cases with 579 deaths. Ten days ago, we were at 19,000 cases and 511 deaths. At the beginning of June, we had 8,700 cases and 445 deaths. That is triple, more than triple the cases in a month and a half. And there are reports that even people with mild cases end up with decreased mental abilities and other symptoms. We don't know right now what COVID-19 does to our bodies even if we can breathe perfectly fine. This is not something to be taken lightly. More than 3 million people in the U.S. have tested positive for coronavirus as of July 10th. At the beginning of June, those numbers were just over half of that. This is all according to covidtracker.com, which I think is a pretty wonderful website. I look at it daily. Nevada, of course, is one of the hardest-hit states economically. And today, we learned that as our legislators are sitting in Carson City, one person who has been in the building the last three days has tested positive for COVID-19, which brings up a very dystopian question. What do we do if our government is too sick to function? And will we really be going back to school in the fall? In my interview with educators teacher Vicky Crydell voiced a concern that I have seen from many teachers on social media. A
3: lot of the public appears to have turned ah. on educators. Um, and, and I try not to, to look in certain places on social media, but there are some places in, on social media that are pretty negative towards educators who don't want to just jump in and be back in the classroom because they're afraid. Some of us are afraid for very legitimate reasons. I mean, I think everyone 's afraid for legitimate reasons, but so that my fear is that we 're going to lose a lot of educators and they won 't come back. Um, we already have a shortage here what 's going to happen if we lose a couple thousand
0: teachers? The truth is teachers are afraid to go back in the classroom. And uh, the school district is going to have to deal with that, as most teachers probably will opt for Cohort C, teaching at home, while many students and their parents are going to want the kids back in school. One of the issues Rebecca Colbert and I talked about was SB 178 money and carryover money. This is money that goes to schools with high-risk populations carryover was part of the reorganization the infamous ab 469 that everybody talks about and 178 was specifically aimed at low proficient students that aren't at zoom and victory schools right now we have uh, one of the people that helped write the ab 469 uh, bill that came through in the 2017 session ed gonzalez is a republican consultant Uh, And he was working with the legislature at the time. We are also talking with Jen Hanel, who uh, is the principal of Snyder Elementary School. I talked with Jen earlier this weekend. I played a couple of clips from our conversation on Tuesday. Uh, And uh, the moment we walked out of the building on Tuesday, we got news that the carryover money might be taken away. Uh, Jen, I want to start with you what does this do to you at Snyder?
4: So last spring, my SOT and I, we actually worked really hard knowing that there was a possibility of some budgeting concerns coming up. We, we went ahead and set aside some of our money, didn't spend it right away when we were doing our budget so that we would have it for this next year. So we wanted to make sure that we could maximize our staffing and we had about maybe $130,000 that we were going to be able to carry forward to pay for all of our extra stuff, all of our programs, our consumables, um, tutoring, professional development, all of those different things we were going to use that money for. And if that is all taken away, I'm going to have to reduce by staff because that was money that was already earmarked. Um, had we had any... In- inkling that that was going to be an issue that it could possibly be removed from us, we would have spent it all up front and done something different. And my understanding—and correct me if I'm wrong—what they are looking at in the in the legislature right now is that they would be allowing the districts to make the choice to utilize schools carryover money to fund educational uh, endeavors. Mm-hmm that aren't necessarily specific to that school. My understanding is that that may become an option, but it doesn't necessarily mean the district has to actually do that. And is that correct?
0: That is correct. It doesn't mean the district actually has to do that, but I do find it a little ominous that CCSD Mm -hmm. asked for this of the legislature. Yes, I agree. (laughs) It came
4: up right when they were having some of the, the concerns about what might happen with funding. And it was put forward, Hey, look, all the carryover money that would just about offset everything. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of people that spoke up and said, wait, 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 wait. So you have schools that would be footing the bill for everybody. And it's just a cross section section of schools. It's not necessarily like, Hey, we had all this surplus money. Right. It it was actually intentionally set aside to support our students not just the school district as a whole like that's money that we were given last year to work towards all of these different things and we chose to set it aside so that our tightening of the belt was not as awful as maybe it could be we always at my school every single year we never know what the fall will bring like what if enrollment changes or Things happen, and and we reduce budget by a certain amount because the amount of money that they tell us to work with and turn in for a preliminary budget in February, that is funny money. That's how many kids they think we're going to have. They're just not really sure, and it's never quite accurate, mm-hmm. and pretty much always we have to reduce a little bit some form or fashion. So I always like to have a little bit of cushion i guess because i don't want to be in a situation in the fall when count day comes and we do have to make budgetary changes i don't want to suddenly have to cut staff members or reduce programming or take away some of the extracurricular activities that the kids have had access to i would rather be able to put those in place when we know for sure this is all of our money because the spring budget it's they're just hedging a guess
0: so now are you talking to legislators about putting this back in?
4: Well, we're emailing. I've encouraged my staff to email as well. I Not just email the legislators that represent where you live, but also where our school is. Because it's our students and our direct constituents, our stakeholders, that are really going to feel that in addition to our staff. So it's our kids that will hurt if we can't pay for you know the the different programs that we've been using to get growth over the past five years because we've done great with what we've had. It, it's our kids that end up losing out and they already lose out on so much. It's a very impoverished area.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: We don't want that to happen. Like we use those funds. like last year, we actually purchased like school uniforms and supplies and things that maybe in other areas might be provided by the by the family. We we do that for our kids. Those are things that won't be there if, if we have all of our extra money taken away. Ed, I want to
0: bring you in here. Um, you were one of the people who was feverishly writing AB 469 uh, before the end of the 2017 session. Uh, th- this is part of it. I mean, AB 469 uh, was reorganization. It didn't specifically say... Individual schools that was decided by CCSD after the, it, this was passed. That this is how they were going to implement it. Um, but this this carryover money this was specifically part of the bill. Yes.
6: Well, yeah. I want to correct on four sixty nine. It did say at that point it was the previous bill three ninety four that set up the process. Ah, okay. But the most important part about this is the attrition money, and the attrition money is mm-hmm. the savings that if you. Have a teacher that's set in your account, like you're essentially buying the teacher, but you can't find it. And at the school where I sit, has a community member on the school organizational team. It's like that mini school board at, at each school. We have at, at Hickey Elementary up in Sunrise Manor six vacancies. We had it last year and we've had it this year. So when you're talking about t- the opportunity to take money from Hickey Elementary, we're talking probably over $700,000 that's going to happen. And at our SOT meeting, we anticipated that 178 was probably gone, that we're going to take massive cuts. And we could, with the dollars that we saved, absorb an atrocious one-year cut and sort of be okay. We wouldn't have a lot of the services we like, but we could. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other schools who are in that same boat who are going to take this money and watch it go away. And it's in our poorest communities, the communities that can't get teachers normally there, uh, Matt Kelly, um, a Canyon Springs... Um, Becco Middle School, which um, I might be wrong on that, but that's four hundred thousand dollars from their budgets. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars from savings, and when we wrote the four hundred sixty nine, we realized that there were communities who weren't getting teachers, and the school district could take the money out of the school and spend it somewhere else, mm. and they would not give the additional resources to help these long term subs and the situation they cause. When we're not having equitable education, and so to put this into a bill. That Superintendent Jara said to the legislature that they're not looking to take the money is baffling. Because why would you do it if the district doesn't plan on doing it? Carrie, okay, if I can add one more thing. Mm-hmm. The district's position is always to take the money. Even in 2019, when we had some tweaks they were trying to do, they did tell the chairman of the education committee they wanted that money back. So this isn't a new position for the district. They have never like the carryover and nutrition money going to schools. They have fought for that mm-hmm. continuously.
0: So um, your school, Ed, um, is a, is a, does get 178 funds, which means that it's not a Zoom or Victory School, but does serve an underserved population, correct? Correct. And you, um, Jen, are a Victory School, correct? Mm-hmm, yes. And so um, you don't get 178 money. You're not going to lose that. Correct. You are going right. to lose your carryover money, though.
4: Well, it depends on what happens, right, the
0: district right, level. right, right. It depends on what and, happens and at the district thing- level and in the legislature. I mean, they haven't passed Absolutely. it as of this taping right. on Friday, uh, on uh, what it was—is it the ninth, um, the tenth of July? Yeah. That um, they have not. They they put a, a bill in to possibly change the law, but they have not done it yet, mm-hmm. uh, and
4: so we'll see how that plays out in the coming week. But you were going to say what if they take away our carryover money? the impact at Snyder is probably going to be very similar to what would happen if they unilaterally took a certain amount per pupil away from every school in the district. So the impact might be more of a wash at my school because we're looking at a smaller amount, but like Ed was saying, when you're talking about $700,000, when he's talking attrition money, which by the way, we actually, I'd forgotten, but, We have a position that we would be getting attrition money for at my Mm -hmm. site, um, which we had accounted for in our spreadsheets. But we have schools that they would end up footing the bill for everybody. And some of those schools would lose out significantly more than others. So as a school that had no carryover, no attrition. And if if those are the only cuts that are being made, or I guess money being taken away, so you're going to have some schools that just continue on with their exact same staffing and their exact same plan, and be able to just kind of go forth. And then you have some schools that might lose massive amounts that account for like 10 staff positions Mm -hmm. or more. And they may have some of that extra money because they actually planned carefully, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they set aside and they were planning, thinking ahead, knowing that maybe we're coming up on tough times. And to have a, a cross-section of schools put the whole deficit for a district is just grossly unfair. Like I said, you know, it may be a wash at my school. Whether they do one or the other, the impact might be pretty close. Right. But I think about those other schools that have much greater amounts, if we're looking at attrition, carryover or the combination of the two and it's just it's nowhere near equal it's it's just not fair and when we're all having to make these huge investments towards technology and training and it i mean these are un, unprecedented times uncharted mm. waters to so, add that stress on top of everything else so oh, uh, man, i want to so much
0: i want to clarify when you talk about attrition you're talking about a teacher leaving and then that position not being filled. And no, no. no. what are you talking no. about?
4: Okay.
6: Uh, do you want to go ahead and explain? Yeah. So what it is, is that we're allowed a certain amount of teachers. Now, you've heard me say numerous times that the reorg requires a per pupil. We still do a staffing allocation. So at elementaries, it's different. Like, let's say I, I'm allowed 25 uh, st- students and I get a teacher. Okay. We have these p- teachers built into the budget. We can't hire them. I'll give you another example. Sunrise Mountain, that's right next to us. They have, I believe, 11 vacancies. They just can't find the teachers. And so instead of paying that 84000 or whatever the number is, they get a long-term sub. There's a massive savings in that. Mm-hmm. And the reason this put in is that when they did the hearings, they found out they were taking those extra dollars out of our poorest communities, out of those Title I schools we're normally at, and putting it back to the district. The legislature committee was furious, I mean, I hadn't seen Dina Nino scream that loud in a while because those schools should stay. At, those all should stay at those schools, and that's mm-hmm. how it got into the bill. And so that's what the savings are. They're not. They're not paying. They're paying for something they don't get. So
4: I see. Like I see. It, it's been awarded,
6: yeah. so and it doesn't like, affect the state budget at all. That's surprising. <laughs> it doesn't affect anything from the state. This is money that's already given down. It won't affect any deficit in the state at all by doing this.
0: Do you think that this is that they're using the pandemic as an opportunity to do something they've been wanting to do for a while?
6: Yes. <laughs> I think this essentially kills the reorg. Look, it was the whole idea was to give local control. I remember seeing a principal when they did the Victory Schools app. It might sound tremendous. John Hanel. I saw his victory <laughs> plan over at West Prep and I'm just going, man, we got to give him all the dollars he can get his hands on and give him full control. <laughs> Because he had an idea of what he was doing and he did very well. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the idea for the REARG trust the principals, give the money to them, and let them figure it out. If you don't let Mm -hmm. them carry over dollars, and before this, they only have like 10 or 50,000 or some number that they only could keep. And then people were spending money at the final month, buying gloves, Mm -hmm. buying anything. Right. Right. And so that's not good policy either. But if you don't give them control of dollars, there's no local control. This ends it. They're just going to go to meetings again and saying, hey, guys, what are we going to do? Well, we can't do anything. Uh,
0: I should note that John Hanel is Jen's husband, um, <laughs> who was a principal here. Um, mm-hmm. he, I, I think he was the first person at the CCSD uh, district who I interviewed. And um, uh, he was, I think, in charge of three schools at the time. Mm-hmm. You were just listening to Jen Hanel. She is the principal of Snyder Elementary School. And uh, we also have been talking to Ed Gonzalez, who uh, sits on two SOT boards and helped write AB 469, the 2017 law that reorganized the school district. Both of you, thanks for being with us today. Thank Thank you, Carrie. Our second weekly episode of Impact has come and gone. Impact is a co-production of Nevada Voice and KUNV with no racism in schools and CCSD parents. Thanks to Rebecca Colbert for making sense of the week with me. And thanks to Ed Gonzalez and Jen Hanel for updating me on how the legislature's decisions might affect schools. Thanks also to Mojave High School Principal Greg Cole, Valley High School Principal Ramona Esparza, and Lomi Heard Elementary School teacher and head of the National Association of Education of Southern Nevada, Vicki Crydell. The music you have been listening to is Foster the People's Life on the Nickel and Vampire Weekend's Oxford Comma. Next week, we'll be updating you on legislative decisions, and we hope that they are all healthy Share our podcast with those you love. The link is impact.simplecast.com. I'm Carrie Kaufman. Thank you for listening to Impact.